0: Our scripture reading for this afternoon comes to us from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, the last half. Here, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, teaches us to have hope and comfort, especially in the midst of suffering. And he does this with a view to the future glory that awaits us. And this reading is in connection with the teaching of God's word concerning God's providence, his care over creation. So Romans 8, beginning at verse 18, and after the reading we will respond with Psalm 139, stanzas 1, 9, and 10. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As mentioned, the sermon this afternoon is on the revelation of the Word of God concerning His providence. And we find summaries of this teaching in the Heidelberg Catechism, and also in another one of the confessions of the church, the Belgic Confession. So we'll look at first the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10, and then afterward, the Belgic Confession, Article 13. And the sermon this afternoon more closely follows the structure of the article in the Belgic Confession, but all of these truths are also contained and summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism. So first, Lord's Day 10. Question and answer 27. This is on page 525. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. We turn now to the Belgic Confession, Article 13, which is on page 503. Article 13, the providence of God. We believe that this good God, after He had created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to His holy will, He so rules and governs them that in this world nothing happens without His direction. Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his actions surpassing human understanding we will not curiously inquire farther than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God which are hidden from us. And we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ who have only to learn those things which He teaches us in His Word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine gives us inexpressible consolation for we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures so under His power that not one hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor one sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. Matthew 10, 29 and 30. In this we trust. Because we know that he holds in check the devil and all our enemies so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. We therefore reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God does not concern himself with anything but leaves all things to chance. So far the reading from our Confessions After the sermon, we will respond to the proclamation of the gospel with hymn 64. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, this afternoon we learn about the providence of God, His watchful care over His creation we learn how all of the things that we experience in this world are not left up to chance or randomness or some other kind of mechanism, but that all things, everything that happens in this world, all things are governed by God's perfect will. And what's more, we learn that the God who watches over these things is not some Impersonal force who doesn't care one way or the other about what happens in this world. No, this God is our Heavenly Father. He cares very much over this world that He has made, and He has a very special concern for those of us who are His children. That's you and me. And for this reason, when we learn about the providence of God, we are comforted and we are encouraged in every situation in which we find ourselves. This afternoon, we learn about the providence of God in this way. We have unspeakable comfort in this life because God's providence is three things. It is first, good. Secondly, it is over everything. And thirdly, God's providence is for our benefit. So first, we'll see that God's providence is good. It's important that we note how this article in the Belgic Confession begins. It begins in this way: We believe that this good God. So in teaching in teaching us about the providence of God, we are first prompted to consider who is the God of providence. Who is the God who who governs these things? What is he like? It wouldn't be comforting at all to believe that there was a God who was in control of all things, but that this God was full of hate or, or malice and evil. Right? That would be a really anxious and dangerous existence for us. And this is how Many pagan cultures in the past, and perhaps even the present, think about their gods. That there are gods who controlled all of the events on earth, but you could never really be sure that these gods wouldn't hurt you, even just out of spite. You might even worship a god who was in a squabble with another god, And you got hurt because you just got caught in the middle. There's no security at all because your God might be evil or your God might simply not be strong enough to help you. We confess something very different. This good God. We're given a list of the attributes of God in the very first article of the Belgic Confession. They teach us the character of our God. Our God is eternal. Our God is incomprehensible. He's invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty. He's perfectly wise. He's just. God is good. He's the overflowing fountain of all good. It's a good thing that this God is in control, He's wise. Our God is good. He's just. He's the overflowing fountain of all good. And yet, there are challenges to this truth. Is God really good? Our belief that God's providence is good rests on the truth that God himself is good. And you will be challenged on this. When people experience trouble or hardship if someone is afflicted with a terrible disease and every day of their life is spent in agony. Or if, somebody, if somebody's life has been going along just fine and out of nowhere, their, their perfect little child is killed in an automobile accident. Or when the world witnesses an act of God, an act of God, like A tsunami or an earthquake, something that snuffs out the lives of thousands of people in a matter of minutes or seconds. People ask, where was God in this? Why didn't God stop this? He either doesn't exist or he's cruel. He's one of those two. That's the conclusion that people reach after something like that. The Greek philosopher Epicurus, so the Epicureans were mentioned at the end of Article 13, Epicurus claimed that since there is evil and pain and suffering in this world, and we all know that there is, since those things exist, our conclusion must be God can't be both all-powerful and all-loving. Epicurus said, Evil exists, so our conclusion must be God is either unable to take it away or he's unwilling, or maybe he's both. God is either weak or he's cruel, or he's weak and cruel. If that's the case, why do we call him God? Why do we consider him fit to be worshipped? How do you answer that question? How do you answer that? Well, we will see that our God, we saw this just a moment ago, our God is almighty. He is powerful enough. And he is perfectly wise, and he is just and he's good. He's the overflowing fountain of all good. So he is willing to take these things away. So how can how can these things be? Well, we understand by the teaching of God's word. God has taught us these things. We understand by his word. That evil came into this world because of sin. Our parents, Adam and Eve, freely sinned and brought sin and the curse of sin into this world. And yes, here comes another objection. Why didn't God stop it? Yes, God could have prevented it. He could have made Adam and Eve unable to sin, unable to reject him but that would have stripped them of their freedom to choose, a freedom that God created them with. Freedom to choose either to love God and obey Him and serve Him and live with Him or reject Him. They were created with the ability to do either. Now God did not think it a good thing to violate the freedom that He created Adam and Eve with. If He did, then They would not be man and woman created in the image of God. No, with with that ability taken away, they would have been little more than than puppets, pre-programmed robots who only did what they were programmed to do. But no, God created us with a will. And it was good to God that He would maintain their ability to choose even when the result of that choice was the fall into sin. And after the fall, of course, the ability to choose good or evil is is over. After the fall into sin, we can only have the inclination to do what is evil. But listen to this. With the entrance of sin and evil and pain into this world also came the gospel of salvation. Immediately after the fall, God proclaimed redemption. Redemption. Why did all of this happen? Well, in the fallen to sin, God demonstrates his, his wisdom and his justice and his wrath in the ways that he deals with sin. That in itself is an awesome revelation of the, of the good character, the good and just character of God. But even more than that, in the fallen to sin, he demonstrates his wisdom and his love and his mercy in the way that he deals with sin and forgives sin by sending his own son as a ransom. Yes, we can say there is evil and pain and suffering in this world. But this is the gospel. God is willing and able to do away with it, and he is, in fact, doing away with it right now. It has already been defeated by our Lord Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning, God has been governing and preserving the history of the entire world toward that end. God's providence is indeed very good. And moving away from the objections of sin and pain and suffering, very simply, this whole creation testifies to the goodness of God's providence. God counts the stars. God holds them in their paths. God has established the foundations of the mountains. He's the one who roots them to the earth. God waters the hills and the valleys with rain. He provides food for all creatures. He gives food and drink to mankind. God presides over the rising and the setting of the sun. And he has painted this entire world with marvelous displays of his splendor. God's care over all things is perfect. Our good God, whom we know from his word, he is the one who governs, and he governs over absolutely everything. And that's our second point. God's providence is over everything. We read in Article 13 that nothing happens without his direction. Nothing. And we confess something similar in the Heidelberg Catechism. We confess that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, riches and poverty, health and sickness, all things come from God's fatherly hand. All the things that can impact us in this life. Things that we are able to perceive as good for us or bad for us. All things that occur in our lives. God teaches us that they are for our good. We read that earlier, Romans 8 verse 28. God works all things for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. But the question is, is that the extent of it? Or what is the extent of God's care? Does God only carefully govern and tune the things that are perceptible to us, things that are measurable to us, things that we can see having a direct impact on people? And maybe that, you know, the rest of the world is just the world operating according to its laws, according to physical constants. Well, sometimes I think we might tend to think this way. We might think that. Some things in this world are so small, so unimportant, that they couldn't possibly be the concern of God. God is concerned with cosmological things, planets, universe, the universe, galaxies. God is concerned with nations, kingdoms, life, and death. Surely there must be something that's so small that it doesn't matter, right? There must be something that's too unimportant. For example, there was a discussion in a theological journal about whether God consciously and with with purpose directs directs the number and arrangement of coffee grounds in any given scoop of coffee. So you grab your coffee can and your spoon and you dig out a spoonful of coffee grounds. The question is, is it the case that God has some purpose for the arrangement and the number of every tiny ground of coffee and every little speck of coffee dust? Is every single one of those put into its position for a, for a real specific purpose of God? How far does God's providence go? Does God think about every single drop of water on this planet? One drop runs down a mountain and makes it all the way to the ocean. One drop ends up in a cornfield and is responsible for moistening one particular kernel of corn. One raindrop, or one drop of water evaporates and is carried a thousand miles away and falls as a raindrop and ends up as just a splat on somebody's windshield. Does God really carefully determine all of these things? Does it even matter to us? Does it affect anything? Yes. It does matter. It does affect. But it's too great for us. It's too massive for us to understand the causes and the effects of all of these things. And this is especially where we respond to this teaching with humility and trust and love. We can't comprehend this. We can't comprehend that our great God directs every atom in this universe. Every dust particle. There is nothing that is outside of his care. God is infinite. God is infinite. Things that are beyond us are not beyond God. And the Belgic Confession mentions something specifically for our comfort the hairs of our heads. Our hairs. When we have to give our little boys haircuts, you know, we have to pick them up and set them on the counter and they sometimes squirm all over the place because they're little and the, and the hair clippers are noisy and maybe a little bit scary and, you know, little boys hate getting their hair cut anyway. So hair gets everywhere, absolutely everywhere. It gets in the sink, it gets on the floor, it gets all over us. It would be impossible for us to keep track of every single one of those hairs but guess what? Every single one of those hairs has a special number on it. God cares about every single one of them and he won't let anything happen to any of your hairs unless he decides and he wills it. God cares that hair number 317 landed in the sink. He cares that number 33 is on the floor. He cares that number 168 got missed by mom and now it, now it sticks up in the air. God has these things in his mind. What a God and Father we have. Now here's the big one. This is a difficult one for us. Even the decisions of people. Every decision is directed by God. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, we read that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even evil decisions. That's a tough one. We might prefer to say that God only allows or permits people to or demons, or Satan, to do evil things. We might prefer to say that God directs events, but when a person performs an evil deed or makes an evil decision, how could God have anything to do with that? God must somehow take his hands off the wheel momentarily. Maybe he directs these things simply by corralling people, By controlling the environment and then just kind of letting evil people be evil? He couldn't possibly be involved in or through their evil, could he? Well, people of God, yes, this is a really difficult question. But the scriptures, the scriptures themselves are very clear. God somehow even acts on the wills of men, even evil men directing what they do, and yet he is completely free from any charge of wrongdoing. No charge can be leveled against God. God says in Job that he was the one who was responsible for the Sabaeans coming and attacking Job's servants and carrying off his property. God says to Satan, you incited me To act against my servant Job. God takes credit for that. And God himself says that he is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. We have to maintain this strongly. God has revealed it. Without apologizing for it. And we have to trust him. God's providence is absolutely all-encompassing. And yet, God stays holy and blameless. So now what good is all of this knowledge about the extent of God's prov- about the extent of God's providence? So what? God directs everything. How is this a benefit? Well, in everything he does in directing the coffee grounds, in directing the drops of water, the hairs of our heads, the good and evil thoughts of humankind, God is bringing about the thing that He wills. And the thing that He wills is always toward some good. We have a wonderful example of this in Genesis 50. Genesis 50, this is where Joseph and his brothers are in Egypt. And their father Jacob has died. And now Joseph's brothers are scared. They're scared because of all of the terrible things that they've done to Joseph. And they're afraid that now, since their father is dead, now is the time that Joseph is going to take his revenge on them. All of these horrible things they did. And and what does Joseph say to his brothers? How does he respond? He says to his brothers, You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph was in Egypt so that he could be a steward over the, over the, the food, the abundance of food in Egypt to be salvation for people who, who were experiencing that famine. God directs all things toward some good. And we have the ultimate example of this in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God used the evil, murderous intentions of men, of those who hated and murdered our Lord. God used them to secure our salvation. God directed the history of the entire world to come together at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that glorious act that the whole idea of the providence of God has the greatest comfort for us. Why? Because He did all of that for our sake. And that's our third point. God's providence is for our sake. At that cross, at the cross of Jesus Christ, the meeting place of all points in the history of the world, something really special happened for us. Christ paid the ransom for us with his life And at the same time, he obtained something for us. Lord's Day 9, the previous Lord's Day, clues us into this. There we read that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is, for his sake, my God and Father. Because of the death that Christ died, because of the ransom that he paid, God is your Father. The Father of Christ Is our Father. That is huge. Suddenly, you have a very special relationship with the God who controls every speck of dust in the entire universe. That's amazing. The same God who is so powerful and so wise as to direct every drop of water to its goal, the one who holds every star in its course the one who counts your hairs, that's your loving Father. He's your Father, and that's why even your hairs are so important to Him. That's why they have numbers on them. You're His little child who needs Him for everything. And He gives it to you better than any human father who has ever walked this earth, has ever been able to do for His child. God does it perfectly. And God has proven this. God has demonstrated how much He cares for you. God has valued you so much. He valued you so much that He gave up His Son. We read this every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you're going to read this again next week. God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Legally, we were still God's enemies at that point. Until Christ finished paying for our sins, we were the enemies of God. If we were His enemies and He cared for us so much that He gave up His Son to die, if He loved you enough to put His Son through a death like that while you were His enemy, how much more? How much more? will He, now that you are His child, give you the most perfect, perfect fatherly and loving care? If God, so masterfully, with such infinite wisdom, wove history toward such a brutal event for His own Son, His Son whom He loves, His Son whom He loves, if He did that for you, How could we ever doubt His care? Every moment of our lives, every breath, every interaction, all directing us toward our ultimate good, the salvation of our souls and our eternal life with Him. That's what everything in our life is for. We are assured of this in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that in all things... Not some things, not most things, all things. All things. God works for the good of those who love Him. If that is true, then how do we live? How do we live our lives? How do we view all of the events in our lives, especially the tragic ones? How do we view the things in our lives that that threaten our joy in Christ? How do we react to financial troubles, diseases, cancer? How do we get through it when your loved one, your, your spouse, has passed away and you live as a widow or a widower for you know 10 or 15 years afterwards? How do you deal with your depression? How do you deal with failure? Abject failure in your career? How do you respond when one of your children walks away from God? All of these things threaten your joy in Christ. And even though we confess, we believe that all things are perfectly in the hand of God, it doesn't just wipe away the pain that comes along with all of these things. That sticks around. We have to get through that stuff. And we wonder, what is the sense? What is the sense of all of this? Why do I have to go through these things? Why? Why me? Why is my body failing me? Why am I in pain? Why won't my child believe? I don't know why God is making me endure this. And we know that even though these trials are given by God and they're meant for our good, we confess that, we know that somehow Satan tries to hijack them. He tries to take these things and and turn us against God. But Paul assures us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship Persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future... Nor any other powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing shall separate us no cancer, no hardship, nothing. We're preserved by God through all of those things. And James teaches even further than that. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'll read that last verse again. Let perseverance finish its work So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So not only are you preserved against falling away in the midst of all of these difficulties, no, even further, it's the opposite. God has given you these things for your maturity. God expects progression in your devotion, in your life, in your trust towards Him. Your faith, your holiness, even in the twilight years of your life. Right up to the end, God is using these things to shape you into his new creation by his Spirit. Your Father has given you everything that is necessary for you. It's not just that God has decided that some things might be of some use to you. It's not that he decided that you might be able to put up with a few things. And it's not that God simply allowed some things to happen. No. Whatever your Father has given you is necessary for you. Necessary for the maturity of your faith. Necessary for preparing you for the eternal existence that he has in store for you. The same as he gave these things to Joseph. You know, what happened to him? What happened to Joseph? A lot of things that can happen to us. Many of the things that we experience to some degree. Real family hardship. Is anybody in a squabble with a sibling or a parent or one of their children not getting along? Joseph's brothers actually hated him. Do we actually understand what that means? They didn't just dislike him. They actually considered murdering their brother. They threw him into a well and they decided, no, let's not murder him. We'll sell him instead. They sold their brother for a bag of money. Joseph's mother, Rachel, died when Joseph was Just a little boy. So not only did his brothers hate him to the point of almost murdering him, but he didn't have his mom for comfort in that. Right? And he ended up in prison after that. He was in Egypt, and he was wrongfully accused, ends up in prison, forgotten. During the worst of what Joseph went through, did he know that he was going to end up as the ruler over all of Egypt? Probably not. He probably didn't see that on the horizon. We read the Joseph story with the benefit of hindsight, thinking, well, it's actually going to end up pretty well for Joseph, isn't it? Well, Joseph didn't know that. He's sitting there in a prison. We don't know the highs and the lows of his wrestling through this with God, but we can imagine that he wondered. Am I forgotten? Has God forsaken me in here? How long, O Lord? What if God gave you all the information about your future life? What if you were able to understand why you got cancer? Why your baby died while still in the womb? What if you understood why you lost everything in the fire. Why your spouse left you, even though you were so faithful. Why the bad thing happened, whatever it is. What if God showed you the road map? The road map that explained how getting, chance, getting cancer changed your course in just such a way that you were now suddenly prepared to receive this enormous blessing from God. What if you could understand that? would your attitude toward your hardship change probably would wouldn't it and sometimes god allows us to understand these things sometimes decades later we finally understand god's wisdom and his love and his care in something that was so unthinkable at the time but actually more often it it stays a mystery We might learn that only in glory. And so God demands trust and love in every situation. He is your Father. Your hairs are on His mind. The hairs of your head. Do you want proof of that? Do you want proof that God is directing everything in your life for your ultimate good, toward your eternal salvation? If you need proof, You don't have to look any further than your own forehead. When you were baptized, God the Father promised that He adopted you as His child. And that as a loving Father, He would either avert all evil out of your life, He would keep it away, or He would take that and turn it to your blessing. He would turn it to your benefit. You have that Tattooed on your forehead with water, it's signed by God himself. He promised you. He promised you that. God's providence is perfectly good. It's it's over everything. It's for your benefit, and we can praise him, and we can glorify him for this. Lord's Day 3 teaches us that that is the very purpose of our creation in the first place. To give glory to God. We were created so that we might rightly know God, live with Him and love Him so that we can praise and glorify Him properly. That is our eternal existence. And God has providentially seen to it that that future is secured for us. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. In Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, in order that we might be to the praise of His glory. When this world passes away, and when we are glorified and perfected, our life is going to consist of glorifying and praising and enjoying God forever and ever. That is why God has done such wonderful things throughout all the ages. This is why your Heavenly Father so carefully directs your life, instant by instant, health, sickness, relationships, all of it, in order to bring you into His glory. To reveal His glory to you forever and ever. And that's why we can be contentedly humble. Humble before God with with the limited understanding that we have over these things. Why? Because we trust our Father. We trust Him. And this is why we can be patient in trouble. And even more than that, this is why we can rejoice in our trials. Because God is is preparing you for glory. This is our glorious destination, and we just have a taste of that right now. But we have a firm and a sure hope for it. Where is all of this going? What is it all for? Well, it's for our benefit, and it's to the praise of His glory. Amen.